The F Word at Work from Fertility Matters at Work is a conversation about fertility and how it affects people at work. You'll be hearing conversations from our community about what they experience when trying to build their families, as our aim is to help you better understand this issue by sharing these stories, along with our own insights from the work we are doing. Plus, we'll be talking to the organisations making these cultural changes the norm, as well as bringing you thought leaders from the workplace wellbeing space. I was very concerned that it was coming across as dramatic, so I didn't like to show it to other people unless it was my really close friend. So I'd have chats with them and I'd say, look, is this normal? This is what I get. And it wasn't until I was sort of 19, 20 that my symptoms completely took over to the point where like, I would be out with friends and then I would pass out. Welcome to another episode of The F Word at Work. I've got Becky and Claire, my two co-founders with me. And this is attempt number two at recording an intro because I just gave you a whole load of waffle about tech gremlins that I'm not going to bore you with this time. I've got the girls with me. It's an evening the week before International Women's Day. And you'll hopefully be hearing this just as the episode has come out. So the day before International Women's Day. And it's always like a really massive, significant event in everybody's calendar, isn't it? And we're always trying to make the best of getting all sorts of messages out there. And this year, there's a tech theme. They're talking about empowerment in the workplace. There's a lot of conversations about equity at the moment, isn't there? And I know it's something, Claire, that you're really keen to highlight in the conversations that we have when we're talking about our mission with Fertility Matters at Work. Yeah, and the equity bit. I mean, we, we've talked about things like the gender pay gap for quite a significant amount of time. But we talk about the equity around health and all the things that women go through. And I know we don't generally talk about women and infertility being a woman's problem, but given it's International Women's Day, I think we need to focus on women as a gender and as a sex. The fact that going through treatment has that huge impact on a woman and it's the woman who needs to be there at all of the appointments and the impact in terms of hormones on the body and and everything else that we go through when we think about equity it's got to be a part of the conversation and our latest poll showing that 93 percent of women felt that going through fertility treatment had impacted their careers in some way and so there's so many reasons why fertility and even like endometriosis from the the point of how long it takes to diagnose and, and all of the different impacts that that has on a woman there's so many reasons why this is important and an important part of the conversation around fertility and equity and for International Women's Day. Well, here we are. We've got a conversation that is kind of ticking two boxes, International Women's Day. And we wanted to highlight the conversation about endometriosis because what we're actually seeing is more organisations are starting to realise that it is a workplace conversation. And our guest today is called Sophie Richards and she has done an amazing job at sharing her own experience, but she's doing more and more work speaking about what she's gone through in the workplace, at workplaces, and have a listen to her story. She's been struggling for over a decade. She's only 26. So this has been a really significant part of her formative years. Um, And then we'll come back and have a chat about it. But hopefully it will give you another insight into another area that needs to be looked at when it comes to workplace wellbeing, particularly focused on on the woman. And interestingly, uh, this this episode that we've recorded or you've recorded with Sophie, um, somebody messaged us on our social media platform this week to say, do you ever talk about endometriosis? And yes, we absolutely do. And we know that there's a whole myriad of 
medical health conditions which lead to infertility for women and create those challenges for people. So I'm really pleased that your timing was absolutely spot on that in recording that episode with Sophie and it's going out for International Women's Day. And it's Endometriosis Awareness Week. Yes, so it's it is. all tied in quite nicely. Now, before we get into this episode, we just want to say a big thank you to our sponsors for this series, Apricity, which is next generation fertility. And Apricity has a unique virtual model that uses AI innovation and technology to reimagine fertility care. Now, to explain that, the technology Apricity use is through their virtual models, so they have virtual consultations, and specifically, their bespoke treatment app really guides and supports patients and their partners through their journey so they never miss an injection. They have instant access to their medical team and a dedicated advisor seven days a week. Apricity offers family building benefits to employers, health plans and individual patients. And this goes from diagnostic testing to full fertility management, including medical treatments such as IVF, egg donation and egg freezing. Apricity helps build families by providing access to the best doctors, technology and unlimited support. Now the Apricity Fertility Benefit can be bespoke, designed for your company, for either flexi benefit, cash allowance or through your PMI. And you can discover how Apricity can support your employees just by visiting apricity.life. This week, you may well know if it's Endometriosis Awareness Week, if you listen to this podcast as it's dropped. And one of the things that we're always keen to do in the conversations we have is to highlight to you the many ways that we are struggling with different issues impacting our fertility. And endometriosis is something that's had much more awareness around it over the last few years. But we are talking about a condition that affects one in 10 British women, that it can take over seven years to diagnose, that there's still a lot of misconceptions around it. And what I really wanted to do was to bring in somebody who has been sharing their own personal experience. As you know, we love storytelling here at Fertility Matters at Work. So without further ado, I'm going to welcome my guest today, Sophie Richards. And Sophie has a blog called The Endo Spectrum and has been sharing a lot of her personal experience. So Sophie, welcome to The F Word at Work. Hi Natalie, thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure and thank you for what you've been doing because as I was just saying in the pre-chat to Sophie, I'd had a good dig around on your Instagram account and it's so informative and there's such a powerful community on Instagram for people who are struggling with reproductive health issues, struggling with fertility issues. We signpost it a lot at Fertility Matters at Work, but I want to just start with you explaining a bit about your diagnosis because it's staggering the number of women around the world that are affected with endometriosis and in the time I've been making my fertility podcast which is now over eight years I've seen the awareness build and I was in my local shopping centre in Manchester recently and there was a whole big kind of campaign from Endometriosis UK of the stats and of pictures of women and it was brilliant to see that that awareness is literally on the high street now. Tell me about what happened with you and how long it took you to get diagnosed. Yeah, so that's what you've just said now is such a good point. So now it's plastered everywhere. A lot of people know what endometriosis is. And it's really great that every time I do a talk, I always ask who in this room knows about endometriosis. And so many hands fly up now. 
But when I was diagnosed, that wasn't the case. I had never heard of endometriosis, neither had my friends, and neither had most of the doctors that I'd been seeing for the sort of five plus years that I'd been in pain, which was part of the reason of why my diagnosis was so long. So I started having symptoms when I was about 16, 17, because that's when my period started. So I was a little bit later than most of my friends and kind of was looking around and wondering how everyone else was carrying on with day-to-day life with their period because they'd had years and years of sort of practice with it. And I just thought, God, the right troopers getting Mm -hmm. getting through this every month. And my symptoms were just progressing massively. So from the ages of sort of 16 to 18, the symptoms had gone from, you know, mild to moderate pain just before my cycle. Um, I was getting really tired. And then all of a sudden that pain just grew and grew to this severe tugging, severe bloating. And it ended up just me being bed bound every time my period came. And if you actually think of your life in terms of a month, a week of that was my period, but my symptoms weren't bound to that seven days either. One, my cycles could be as long as nine days, but also I would have symptoms in the run up to my period too, sometimes all month round. So it wasn't just a bad period, which is I know a lot of women have mild endometriosis and their symptoms are exaggerated period pains. Mine were month long, so it did just take over my life. So my diagnosis was very long because the symptoms, like I said, fatigue, um, I was anemic, I had tugging pains and severe period pains were fairly generic, even though severe, they were very generic. So things like cystic ovaries, IBS, that all came up. And it wasn't until I went to university, it had been over five years, I'd had a surgery for cysts on my ovaries, which didn't help. And I'd finally had a diagnostic um, surgery, which then showed that I had endometriosis, which was about, yeah, five years after being in all that pain. And during that time that you were in that pain and you were saying that you couldn't quite understand why your friends were not having the struggles you were having, were you talking about what you were going through to your peers as well as obviously the healthcare professionals? Yes and no. So I would say sort of my closest, closest friends, there were a couple that I would just say, oh my God, my period's coming again. And they really understood because if they know you well, you know when someone's seriously in pain because I'm such a dramatic person anyway. I love storytelling. I love all of that. I was very concerned that it was coming across as dramatic. So I didn't like to show it to other people unless it was my really close friend. So I'd have chats with them and I'd say, look, is this normal? This is what I get. But again, because everyone or most people do experience some pain, some discomfort, some bloating, some fatigue around their period, it was really hard to distinguish what was potentially just having a really low pain threshold and being dramatic versus them. And it wasn't until I was sort of 19, 20 that my symptoms completely took over to the point where like I would be out with friends and then I would pass out. It wasn't until the symptoms got that bad or I'd end up in hospital with an emergency surgery that I realised maybe something isn't right isn't right here. Um, and it was only then that doctors even took it seriously. And to be honest with you, I'd had two surgeries anyway. And even after my diagnosis of endometriosis, it was almost like then when I'd go to the doctors and say, oh, hey, my pain's getting a little bit worse. Having endometriosis on my sort of health card was just such an easy answer for them to be like, well, well, yeah, you've got endometriosis. So there wasn't an answer and there still isn't an answer now, which is, again, why I'm so passionate about talking about endometriosis, especially in the workplace. I'm so passionate about women having the same amount of time in work as men, having the same opportunities. And because endometriosis, like you said, it affects 10% of women. It's so important that employers know about it because 
we can work like everyone else. It's just that sometimes there needs to be different allowances and that awareness to be had. Because that is so often the kind of perception that you just have to get on with it. And we talk about how so often women do just kind of put up and shut up. And that's obviously not what we want the ideal situation to be in the workplace when you described how long through the month it's affecting you and what other elements was it affecting because if it's affecting physical as well as mental health how is that affecting you in the kind of day-to-day work environment yeah it was just I think the biggest thing for me is when you go into a workplace it doesn't matter how accepting and nice everyone is it's human nature to pick up on things that are different so for example, the first thing you see is someone's face. I am massively affected by cystic hormonal acne. I have for the last 10 years since I started my period. And it's something that I can tell people don't think is super professional. And it's so silly because I have no control over it. It doesn't matter how much medication I go on, how expensive my skincare is, how much makeup or little makeup I put on. I just have cystic acne and it's really difficult to manage. And it's something that when you're having conversations with people, it's really, really difficult when you can see their eyes move to your skin. And it sounds dramatic, but if you actually watch people, say now you've got something in your teeth, this is a really good example of how to describe it when you've got acne. When you've got something in your teeth, someone will look at your teeth and that signals to you, I've got something in my teeth. You then take that out, you move on. When someone's looking at your skin, it's it's not malicious. It has no bad intent. It's just they've noticed. And that then just triggers this thing. For me, anyway, and I know a lot of people, it's like, oh my God, they've seen my acne. What do they think? What do they think of this? And it's not from a vanity point of view. You just feel like there's then a separation from you and other people at work. And it's it's really frustrating and it really upsets me. And that's both at work and in social settings. So even recently, like I went out with my boyfriend, I was meeting some of his friends that were new. And I was just so conscious of the perception of my skin and were they going to think, oh my gosh, like why is he with someone with such bad skin? Because when it's bad, it's really bad. It's really noticeable. And my face also swells with endometriosis. So that's another thing. That's a really obvious symptom. And so the skin is part of it, but I know not everyone is. A lot of people suffer with what we call endo belly, which is basically just this huge pregnant looking belly that will come up in you know five to 10 minutes for me. So that not only from a self-conscious point of view, it's also very impractical. If you're in the office and you've decided to wear some smart trousers, in five to 10 minutes, those trousers no longer fit you. So you're having to think, okay, well, what wardrobe am I going to take in today? There's only so many endo-friendly dresses you can have. And so for me, virtual working has been an absolute godsend. It's taken all of that stress away. And so I don't have to worry about that. But communicating to employers how important virtual working is. I totally get having to come in every now and again, and that's fine. I think it's great to have that option at work because it's important to share ideas in the office in a physical space. However, for people with endometriosis who are absolutely capable of work, sometimes they're able to do exactly the same at home because you need to be in a pair of joggers because your stomach is just out of control that day. Oh, and Sophie, thank you for explaining that all so thoroughly because it's, so impactful when it is affecting you and making you feel self-conscious and you're trying to put on a good impression either in the workplace or like you say in social settings it's devastating to hear what's going on in your head and how that's going to be something that you're carrying so often as well so I think that's really useful to have you kind of break it down and, and hopefully as a result of these types of conversations that flexibility is really taken into account because like you say you can still do your work it's just with that mm-hmm. ease that flexible approach is something that we talk about all the time with what we try 
try to highlight is so key at Fertility Matters at Work. So if we can just talk a bit about the misconceptions, because I don't think people really actually understand what endometriosis is. So if you can explain a little bit about that, because when you actually look into it and understand what's going on with the blood inside your body, it's quite terrifying to think that you should just, you know, carry on regardless. And I think the more people understand about the kind of internal elements of a condition like endometriosis, it will help them without getting too gruesome and you know if you're queasy I apologize but I I do think it helps to understand it's like when we talk about infertility we explain how the World Health Organization define it as a disease of the reproductive system and I think the more people understand about what actually is going on inside the better it is for them to understand so just explain a bit more about that and we can talk about the misconceptions that unfortunately still exist. Mm -hmm. So in simple terms, it's where cells that are really similar to the womb lining are found outside of the womb. So the old school version is that it's just going to be around your ovaries or just going to be around your womb. But that's not the case. It's found everywhere in the body. It can be anywhere and everywhere. And depending on the individual, it's a a spectrum. So for example, I have it around my bowel and they think it's in my chest because of symptoms that I have. Um, With other people, it can just be restricted around your ovaries or your womb. So it really is a spectrum of locations that it can be found. But because it's so similar to the cells that are in your womb, they respond in the same way to the hormones in your body. So every month you get these signals that say, hey, it's time to shed your, your lining. But these cells, these endometriosis cells, also shed so they bleed the difference is is that there's nowhere for this blood to come out of because it's not in your womb so what happens over time this blood then becomes sticky it'll harden it becomes scar tissue but also your organs are sort of coated in all this slippery goodness so that when you're walking around your bowels can move when you bend over when you get up everything's fine everything moves you can run about it's all great everyone thinks your sort of organs are all static but they're not they're built to move around But for women with endometriosis, which is why my symptoms got so severe over time, the more blood you have, the more scar tissue you have, the more stickiness you have, and your organs start sticking together, they can fuse together and and cause adhesions. So when I'm trying to run or when I'm sat down for too long, sometimes these organs stick together and that's when you have this horrendous tugging pain. And unfortunately, the only treatment we have is surgery for this. So it's keyhole laparoscopy surgery. And I've, you know, they say you only need one every four or five years, but I mean, I'm 26 and I've had four so far, four surgeries. So that's the sort of long and short of what endometriosis is. And obviously every month it can get worse, but the symptoms, so this is why I called my Instagram the endospectrum is because every person and every month is different. One month I can be bed bound and I don't want to see anyone. I can't eat. I can't do anything. The next month I have a complete normal life. I have the easiest period. I've got no symptoms. So it can flare up and um, different people have, you know, more severe endometriosis. So there's, there's often a misconception because of this. And it really does depend, I think, on your personal experience of whether you know someone with endometriosis and the type of endometriosis they have. So for example, I have a friend who has endometriosis and she can eat all the sugar in the world. She has no flaring. She had one surgery because she was having some tugging pain and she's not had any issues since. Her periods are super regular. You know, it's three to four days, no heavy periods, nothing. And so if you only know someone like her with endometriosis, your perception of endometriosis is that it's not serious. It's fine. Your life goes on like normal. You might have one or two days a month where you feel a bit, you know, down, but who doesn't? It just happens to be that it's 
with your cycle and that's that so if you as a manager think that that's what endometriosis is it's not a bad thing because that's just what you've been exposed to but that's why awareness campaigns are so important because for me now my endometriosis is much better but previously I was unable to leave the house for eight or nine days of the month I couldn't eat, I couldn't drink, I couldn't sleep. It was awful. And so if you have an employee with endometriosis and they're going through that kind of flare up or that point in their life, then you have to be sensitive and understanding that endometriosis, like I said, is a spectrum. Just because you know one person with endometriosis, it doesn't mean that that's the same for the other person. And so it's having that kind of understanding, awareness and sympathy for that person as well, because it's difficult enough having to go and obviously in this context this podcast we're talking to employers it's difficult enough having to go to your employer and saying I'm having a really bad period I'm having a flare-up which is to do with endometriosis it's a very personal condition to talk about not many people want to and so that has to be met with the respect and understanding that that's true and that's valid and that you don't need to be questioned because there is nothing worse and I've only ever had it once I've been very lucky with managers I've only ever had it once where someone's gone my friend's got endometriosis and she doesn't have any of these issues. And you're there thinking like, it's taking me ages to have this conversation with you. And that's your response. You lose respect and the, ultimately the employee will leave. That Why would they stay somewhere where they're not respected? We're in a culture where you can quit and find another job where you're respected much easier. So if you want to keep your employees as well, you've, you've got to understand the condition properly. And we know there's such issues around disclosure of these types of topics. So being met with that mm-hmm. type of throwaway comment is far from helpful. One of the things that we're talking with some of the organisations we're working with is about their decision to want to launch period policies as well, which is becoming more prominent as the awareness around reproductive health issues increases, which is great. What kind of things do you think employers need to think about with period policy? We've talked about flexibility, empathy, just having that understanding. But we don't want, again, people to be fearful of this and of saying the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. So I think what you do at the moment is I know that you go into companies and you educate. I think it's really important to have an external source come in and talk to the business. It really frustrates me when companies aren't willing to spend X amount on speakers to come in because what they do is they source an extroverted, normally female person in their team to give a talk. They're normally uneducated or perhaps have an interest in cycles or they've spoken about periods before and they'll go, oh, like Sophie can do that, whatever. But I'll Ultimately, it's really important to have an external source come in because from my experience, companies take it more seriously, employees take it more seriously. They're willing to learn and listen. And it also gives people the platform to ask questions that they're not comfortable doing. So, for example, if it was, you know, me doing a talk to my business about, you know, and this is my period, no one wants to put their hand up and ask me how day two feels having an external person whose job it is to talk about periods, no one's going to have an issue. No one's going to have an issue talking and asking uncomfortable questions because that's literally the whole point of them coming in. So it gives everyone else a safe space as well, because I think there's also a perception. And I think it's a really, for me anyway, men, male managers have been some of the best managers I've had. There's this misconception that men, you know, feel really comfortable and sometimes they do, but so do women. So I think it just gives that free platform that everyone can ask questions. No one gets offended. So yeah, I think it's really important to have people come in and things like having pads and tampons in bathrooms 
it's such a tiny thing, but it's a massive statement that you're willing to support the women in the workplace. So for example, coming into the office and you're not sure whether you're going to have a period or you've forgotten your pad, we've all been in that situation. Endometriosis or not, everyone's going to have a period. And so it's just such a nice safety net knowing, don't worry, I can go to the toilet and it's there. And it's such a small gesture. And what about time? Time off? Because mm-hmm. it's how long is a piece of string? You know, everybody's different. And, you know, we'll encourage with these conversations to let the employee lead when, you know, talking about what they need. So does it vary month to month with you in terms of what time, you know, if someone was so how much time do you need off each month, Sophie? Yeah, of course. So it's exactly like you said, how long is a piece of string? So more often than not, if you actually look at the hours I'd work, it's the same as everyone else. So there's no actual time off needed. What is needed is the today I'm going to work from home because I can't fit into any of my clothes because my stomach looks like I'm making this pregnant. So there's the practicality of it. And also visually, I don't really want my team members staring at my stomach because to be honest with you, I do look like an alien when it's like that. So I understand why people are looking over. So it's just the adapting rather than I'm going to write you off for the day because you're having a bad day. And sometimes like I'll be more tired in the morning, but I'll have a rest and I can work in the afternoon and the late evening. And I often say with people who have children, I'm like, right, when you're when the school, you can't control when your kid is ill. Your kid's gone to school, they're absolutely fine. And all of a sudden at two o'clock in the afternoon, your teacher's gone, they're throwing up. Can you come in? You've not had to take the day off. You've just said to your team, hi, sorry, I'm gonna have to move this meeting to tomorrow. I'm gonna pop in, but I'll be back on later. Just email me what you need. That it's the same allowance for me and my situation. There are times where I've gone, I'm really unwell, I need two days off. But, you know, so has Sandra, who's had the flu, who needs two days off. It's not a big deal. It's not, I can't employ someone with endometriosis because they need a week off every month. It's not that. It's just having an open stream of communication in how you're doing. If you know every single month that your period is horrendous and you haven't found a way to manage it, perhaps don't organise all of your deadlines around that maybe you need to be have more work from home flexibility. I know every, every company is different. The one thing I would say for people with chronic health in general is it's not helpful to say every single Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday you need to be in the office because unfortunately I can't schedule a flare for a went like the days that I'm not in, you know? Um, so the key things are the flexibility and the open communication. So someone should be able to say, hey, I'm having an endo day today. And they just to be that understanding that maybe they won't be online at normal hours um, and the flexibility that if you're having a really bad day that you can just go home and work from home that day. So useful to hear you explain it like that. Thank you so much, Sophie. And you've been documenting more recently about what you're doing about egg freezing. And before I let you go, I just want to get you to explain a little bit about that, because again, it's another conversation that more workplaces are having. Tell me a bit about what you've decided to do. Mm-hmm. Yes, so because endometriosis can cause infertility, either from, um, I mentioned earlier about the adhesions and the scar tissue, that can impact your fertility. Um, But also, I have problems with my ovaries because of my endometriosis. And so there's a conversation um, at the moment of whether my ovaries will be removed or not. So I really wanted to make sure that I could future proof so that I could have kids. I'm, for context, only 26. I have absolutely no plans. I can barely look after myself at the moment. So I'm not having any kids, but I'd like to have that security in the future. So I decided to freeze my eggs so that they were sort of tucked away for a rainy day when they're needed. So this was a tricky one because obviously not not many businesses, if any, in the UK have 
private health that covers fertility. Yeah. Um, so it was something that I had to undergo myself. But it was something, of course, that meant having a couple of days off because of the surgery involved. And um, so I did have to speak to my manager about that. And in terms of the the actual process, if you're not familiar, you basically inject yourself morning and night for two weeks with hormones which can cause some wonderful symptoms of exaggerated endometriosis. So I had a very flayed stomach, very flayed skin, but I was still able to work. I did take um, a couple of weeks off during my last cycle because it was pretty tough. But my first cycle, I was still managed to, still able to work through most of it. And were you open at work about what was going on? Yes. So I've been very open from the get go about my endometriosis because my blog is my absolute passion. And I kind of have this thing where if I go in and all guns, guns blazing and say, this is what I do, this is what I am feel free to follow it along because it just makes my life so much easier as well to be open with my colleagues. So they knew exactly what was going on. Most of them followed my blog anyway, so they could see my injections and whatever. So yeah, and also just from a respect point of view to work, I completely respect that there are deadlines and that people rely on the work that I do. And so it's really important for me to be open with them and say, look, in this next two weeks, sorry if I'm dipping in and out, I'm by the way, going through this process. And Egg freezing was much easier to explain than endometriosis because people are so familiar with egg freezing. A lot of women are doing it now anyway. So they were kind of just more interested rather than judgy or, you know, weird about talking about it then. It's so interesting to hear what people do and and don't get. But thank you so much for taking the time to educate because it's not easy when you're suffering and this has been something that you've been affected by a good decade now and you speak about it so eloquently. And I know that mental health kind of side of it has still been pretty significant. You know, you're you're all smiles to me now, but I know it's not all smiles with this. So I really appreciate the awareness raising that you're doing. I think it's so important the more of us that can talk about it and that you're doing it, you know, for organisations as well. So thank you so much, Sophie. No problem. Thank you so much for having me on. Now, before we just talk about what we've heard from um, Sophie, we are very aware that this is quite a female focused conversation, but it's the nature of the topic. So we just wanted to kind of um, just mention that there. Sophie there's talked about how endometriosis has impacted her in the workplace. And we still know that this is a condition that often women aren't getting diagnosed with. Um, It's still causing a heck of a confusion with medical professionals. So imagine what it's doing to people who are like just putting up with it. And I think it was amazing there how she talked about all that she's been through and the kind of advice that she gave for the workplace in terms of like we say with fertility, having that flexibility, understanding that this is so varied for people. Their experiences are all so different. Her, sadly, over a decade, she's already had surgery before she's even started university. And then she has to go into the workplace dealing with issues with her skin, with her appearance, knocking her confidence while she's trying to build a career. And we know that women so often just tolerate all the stuff that goes around our menstrual cycles. And when it's more severe, it can be really debilitating, can't it? Yeah, and I think it just goes to show that when we talk about fertility, it's not just trying for a baby in that moment. A lot of the conditions that we as women can have affect you beyond your fertility as well. So like Sophie's talked about, and I think my own personal experience of going through early menopause as well, that hasn't just impacted my fertility, but that's had an impact for me through perimenopause, all of the symptoms that came with it. So I do feel that having these conversations, it, it's a wider issue. And actually by having these conversations in the workplace, not only are you educating about endometriosis, for example, and the impact on fertility and the impact that that has on an individual, but also the day-to-day life impact and how that impacts people around um, 
trying for a baby as well. So this is an issue that is huge. It, it impacts people on a daily basis. And we think about kind of the disability kind of conversation and, and has does that have an impairment on your day-to-day -day function? For many people with this condition, it does. And so this is something that workplaces need to be aware of and need to consider. And I think as well as Sophie said, don't make the assumption that men can't handle the conversation because she's not necessarily had sympathetic conversations with women too. So I think it's just ensuring that there's just awareness raising about it in the, the, the well-being agenda and looking at how best people can be supported through what they're dealing with. Yeah, and this is a conversation that we can bring to life within organisations and we're actually doing so soon with our medical advisor and people like Sophie who can come and really talk to what it feels like but also what it means for somebody and if you've got someone within your organization who's maybe also going through this who's happy to talk about their experience then that's another way to bring it to life and, and really get that out there so i think these conversations are so important and if you're listening and you've been through this you're going through this hopefully it helps you feel less alone we do have to go through some things as women don't we I know, Claire, you've seen Sophie speak. You were at an event with her. Yeah. What kind of reaction did she get? Oh, I, I'm glad you said that, Matt. We um, we did a talk in Birmingham last year together, first time I met Sophie face-to-face, -face, and she was absolutely inspirational. I mean, I follow her um, on Instagram anyway and her social media platforms, and she's, she's very open about her struggles and her challenges, and she's really great at that education piece. But the reaction from the room... Um, was absolutely fantastic. We had a lot of people coming up to us afterwards talking about how it's good to have these topics on the agenda that aren't often discussed in public. And I think the more that we can do, the better. So we'll put all the details of Sophie in the show notes of, and how we can help you, as Becky said, get this conversation happening in your workplace. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review. We're going to start pushing that a little bit more because it's just really helpful to have your thoughts on the content that we're sharing. Thank you as always for listening and do make sure you hit subscribe once you finish this episode. Do follow us on our socials at Fertility Matters at Work on Instagram and LinkedIn. It's where we share the free events that we have as well as survey findings and lots of interesting conversations from our community. We're at Fert Matters Work on Twitter. Plus, we've got loads of free resources at fertilitymattersatwork.com. If from what we've shared with you, you feel ready to talk more about how your organisation can become fertility friendly, do book a call via the website link. It will be great to hear from you. 